0: This episode has content surrounding sexual violence that may be alarming
1: to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions before listening, and always take care of yourself. Oh my god. Okay guys, I'll admit I was wrong on that one. You won't get it on recording again. That is not something I say very often. Hey y'all, I'm Kat. And I'm EG. Welcome back to Luck Supporting Survivors so this episode we are going to be talking about stereotypes that survivors face um obviously survivors of sexual violence face a lot of trauma Um, there's a lot that comes with that experience but a big part of that is The stereotypes that they experience in the aftermath of trauma because it is a really stigmatized and taboo topic in our society and there's a lot of shame that surrounds it because of stereotypes like these so our goal this episode is to walk through some of those stereotypes and hopefully debunk them give you the truth behind them so that the knowledge that you have about survivors is true and if anyone comes to you with an experience of their own then you can can respond to them in a healthy way and not do so based on stereotypes so that you can hopefully give that survivor the best experience possible in the wake of something really traumatic. So that's our goal today. Um, All of the stereotypes that we're about to talk about are gonna be linked in our show notes below.
0: Jumping right into our first stereotype, it's gonna be that perpetrators are strangers. This is a stereotype that I personally think is, very stereotypical, I guess. I mean, it's just a very big stereotype, Um, and in reality, 90% of assaults are committed by someone the victim knows, and this is not to say, like, stop protecting yourself when you go to a bar downtown with your friends, or stop being careful when you're walking around by yourself, and always have, like, a buddy with you. Um, Still do all of that, but when it comes to who perpetrators are in their identity usually it is someone that the victim knows.
1: Yeah, I think there is this huge stereotype that like most rapes are gonna be a man grabbing you into a dark alley, and that's right. like not the case. 90% of assaults are gonna be somebody that you already know. And Emma Grace is right, you still need to protect yourself in situations like that, but you do need to be aware that like it's not statistically, it's not gonna be the strangers. You need to be aware of, of the, the people that you know as well. The next stereotype that we're gonna talk about is the idea that perpetrators can't help it. This is an argument that is used a lot that, like, they couldn't help what they were doing, like, they were drunk or they really wanted it or anything like that. Um, Frankly, to me, this argument is really stupid. Um, No other crimes are committed because they couldn't help it. Imagine going into court and saying, I'm sorry, officer, like, I robbed this person, but I really couldn't help it. Like, that's outrageous. Humans are expected to have self control. That argument holds no water. We expect humans to have self-control in every other measure. So when you say like, oh, like he raped her, he couldn't help it. It just like, it seems so illogical to me. That's not something that we accept in any other avenue of our lives. So I don't know why we would accept it when it comes to sexual violence. I mean, yeah, it
0: literally just comes down to the concept of self-control. Exactly. Every decision that an individual makes is a conscious decision. Like, every decision you make is a conscious one. You wake up in the morning, getting out of bed is a conscious decision. Getting dressed is a conscious decision. Going to work, going to school is a conscious decision. So, like, being like you couldn't help it on something that is not a simple decision, like something that is heinous and requires, like you can help you can, it you can you can You can, can help you it. you choose to do it exactly you choose to do it exactly and you should it frankly in my opinion um so going off of that one our next one is being dressed provocatively means that you were asking for it i think this is a stereotype that a lot of us have heard before because it's always like i feel like when you're thinking about sexual assault and you're thinking about rape it's always like oh you were asking for it based on like what you were wearing or she was drinking she was drinking all of those things like oh like were you wearing a dress like easy access like things like that you know like not not okay to say so with that being said one only consent is consent this is something we're probably going to repeat a hundred thousand times in this episode and all of our other episodes only consent is consent if you don't know what consent is we have a cute little episode all about it where we define consent in so many other things and you should go listen to it
1: Um, but only consent is consent. Yeah, being impaired is not consent. Wearing a dress is not consent. Frankly, being naked in the street is not consent. Only consent is consent. And this idea that, like, something other than consent means you are asking for it is, frankly, untrue.
0: No. And, one, assault happens no matter what someone is wearing. You can be assaulted with no clothes on, and you can be assaulted with... Covered head to toe. Covered head to toe in your snow boots, in your skis, and all that stuff. It can happen no matter what you're wearing. And also, this concept and this phrase and stereotype of, like, saying, like, no matter what you were wearing, that's what you were were asking for, it," it really goes into the concept of victim blaming and really puts a lot of guilt onto the victim and kind of forces this thinking of... Is it me? Is it what I did? Is it what I wore? Is it what I drank? Is it what I ate? Is it what I said? All of those different things.
1: And then that kind of feeds into the cycle of why people don't report these crimes. Exactly. Like, if what you are wearing means that you are asking for it, that means that the survivor is at fault for being assaulted, which is never the case by any means. The blame is on the perpetrator, and this idea that anyone is asking for it shifts the blame falsely. So asking for it is is a... like. It's inherently a false argument. The next stereotype is kind of similar to that. Um, The idea that being impaired is an invitation. Um, Being drunk, being high, anything like that. Like we've said, like only consent is consent. Being vulnerable does not imply consent. And if you don't know what that word means, like Emma Gray said, go back and listen to our earlier episode with definitions. Um, but in that episode, we mentioned that you can't give true consent when you're impaired. So if someone is high or drunk or anything like that, then they can't give consent. So like you can't engage in anything. Um, so the idea that like being impaired is an invitation Once again, it's it's a false argument. And it falls back into that argument of victim blaming. That because someone was drunk, they were asking for it. It was their fault. When being impaired isn't, like, it's not an invitation to be assaulted. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, basically, consent is
0: consent. We're circling the same argument. Only (laughs) consent is consent. Our next one revolves around the same argument. Fun fact. Um only attractive people are assaulted, um, inaccurate. Anyone can be assaulted. And this also goes back into the concept of victim blaming, which we just talked about. A lot of these go into the concept
1: of victim blaming and that's kind of why they're stereotypes and that's why they're bad. Our next stereotype is the idea that people mean yes when they say no. This is something that I think boys are taught from a young age that like, if a girl says no, just ask her again, and maybe she'll say yes, because she's just saying no, but she means yes, no. No means no. That is not a stereotype that we need to be perpetuating. People need to listen to the answers that you're giving them. If you ask for consent and somebody says no, believe the words coming out of their mouth, and if you choose not to believe them, then you don't have consent and you're acting without it. Because when people, like, say no and you assume that they mean yes, you're acting without consent. So that's an important one, I think, that that is more ubiquitous in society, the idea that people mean yes when they say no. And when it comes to consent, you can't believe that, you need to believe the words coming out of people's mouth. Exactly.
0: For example,
1: Cat, can I have a hundred dollars? No. I'm gonna take it anyways. Exactly. It doesn't See, work. That's not like that. how it works. No. Even Cat though like would then beat me up? It, <laughs> even though like I hesitated. Maybe like it sounded like I was gonna say yes. I said no. She's not gonna get her one hundred dollars. You go off the words coming out of my mouth. Also, if if she's
0: hesitating. And she's like, mm, mm, that's kind of my sign, and she's not
1: 100% on board, so I'm not going to take her money. Exactly. I think you, like, when it comes to consent, like, people seem to think that the rules are different than they are, like, in the rest of in regular any other life. scenario. Exactly. Like, you have to just use your common sense, which I feel like for some reason, this idea of like sexual violence and even sexual consent, we place it into another category. It's like that same thing that I said earlier with self-control. Like in a courtroom, you can't use that argument of he couldn't help it anywhere else. Like the idea that like the idea that Consent can be confused or like they couldn't help or anything like that like we don't accept that anywhere else in the world So I don't know why we accept it when it comes to sexual violence I feel like we we put this in a different category and we hold people to a different set of rules that we shouldn't you should look at Consent and anything surrounding it the same way that you look at anything else and you if not more seriously,
0: you know Right like you either robbed a store or you didn't rob exactly. a store You either killed someone or you didn't kill someone I mean, or you tried to kill them, and that is, and it's the same thing. It's it's either black or white, and there's no gray area. And then when it comes to sexual assault cases, inevitably it's it's a huge gray gray area. area. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, getting off that topic because oh boy, we could talk. We would go on and on. Yeah. Our next one is that if someone is turned on, that that means that they wanted it. This is usually this stereotype is usually used uh, when it in in terms of male survivors and those assigned male at birth um, especially when it comes to your physiological reactions like an erection or something these reactions cannot be controlled and are not synonymous with consent but a lot of the times using stereotypes like these um, and just not having a really complete understanding of anatomy or like physiology or anything like that really can make it seem synonymous with consent but again at the end of the day only consent is consent and it does not matter like your body's physiological reaction because that is not justification for anything
1: yeah you need to be like you need to be giving consent of your own volition not through a reaction that you can't control something that you can't control isn't consent Our next stereotype is that if there isn't any visible evidence then an assault didn't happen. Um, There are a lot of reasons that this stereotype is untrue. Number one, assault happens without evidence, like physical evidence on your body all the time. Number two, evidence can be lost if you don't report immediately. Like if a trauma happens and you need a week to get your head together before you tell anyone, a lot of that physical evidence is gonna be gone. The last thing is that you shouldn't need physical evidence to believe a survivor. Like I said, trauma happens without evidence and a survivor coming to you with their story should be enough. You shouldn't need like hard physical facts in order to believe them. And that kind of transitions into our next stereotype. Our next one is that if the victim didn't fight back, it wasn't assault. Firstly, this is
0: just incorrect. Just blatantly incorrect. Yeah. But um, kind of a little bit of background with this is we all know about like the fight or flight response, but it has been updated to include not just those two possible survival responses, but a third one. And this third one is freeze. Freezing is controlled by the logical part of our brains, and it's an instinctive response, meaning we, we just don't have any control over it. And so a lot of people who are sexually attacked, they're unable to move or they're unable to speak from fear. They're in shock or they're incapacitated, you know, like involuntary paralysis. So a lot, there are a lot of different responses to surviving a sexual violence. And each person who is in that situation does what they feel is best for them at
1: that exact moment. And it's not even what they feel. It's, right, what, their it's brain what their brain decides. Does, right. like, your brain has the options, fight, flight, or freeze. And in that moment, like you're not in control of what's happening. If you freeze and you don't fight back, that is your brain deciding that in that moment. It's still assault. Just like your brain made the best decision it possibly could for you in that moment of trauma. And so there's no good... There's no good way. Exactly. There's no good way to go respond that. Right. Yeah. So the idea that if a victim isn't fighting back, it wasn't assault, is scientifically untrue. Right. Like our bodies were not made to go
0: through violent sexual attacks. Exactly. Right. So with that being said, not fighting back is not the standard for allowing sexual acts. Again, only consent. Is consent and consent
1: is the standard exactly the next stereotype is that victims would report immediately if they really experienced assault Um, this is once again untrue on a lot of levels Um, reporting or not reporting doesn't dictate your experience there are a ton a ton of survivors who choose not to report their experience for whatever reason Um, so the idea that like you will only are a true survivor or you only were assaulted if you report it to the police is untrue because there's so many people who don't report for so many reasons i think it's important to clarify that like your experience isn't defined by if or how you report i like wanna i wanna leave that as this the truth of this stereotype that like reporting doesn't dictate your experience whether you do it or not how you do it I think that's important to recognize. Yeah, and, like,
0: you know, reporting could, could make the situation better, but reporting could make the situation worse. And you decide and what you need in that situation. Exactly, you know, and there's, you know, we've talked about this before, but there's there's no there's no guarantee that justice will be served. So it really is up to that individual survivor with what, is the best for them in that moment and what they believe will bring them the most healing. Exactly. And at the there's end of the no, day, it's no one else's place to tell them what's best for them except for them.
1: Exactly, there's no one way to be a survivor. Reporting like happens for some people, it doesn't happen for other people. That doesn't dictate your experience. Exactly.
0: Our next one is, oof, our next one is a big one. It's that people make up stories about being assaulted. So, firstly, a very low percentage of assault allegations are false. When it comes to the media and sexual violence, the media focuses a lot on you know, false reports. So this kind of prompts public perception to view these false reports at a higher percentage than they are in actuality. Um, and this also does not reflect the number of assaults that happen that aren't reported, right? So there's just, these percentages are silly and we should not believe them, simply. And secondly, if a victim cannot remember a certain part of the situation, the attack, or they get a detail wrong, the the belief that they must be making it up is a stereotype because like we said with the whole fight, flight, or freeze, your brain takes over and just does what it needs to do to get through the situation and that you know, that could really mess with your memory. And maybe you maybe you don't want to remember that situation and your brain blocks out that trauma so you can't remember or you get a detail wrong. And that's how your body is protecting you from what happened. And so for someone to take getting a, a victim getting a detail wrong or not being able to remember a certain part of an event and taking that as they're making it up or it didn't happen or it's a lie or anything like that is a very...
1: A harmful stereotype. A very harmful stereotype and a very disrespectful stereotype. This next one is pretty simple. It's the idea that sex workers can't be assaulted. Once again, going back to this central idea, consent is required no matter what. So consent to one thing doesn't equate to consent for the other, and regardless of your profession or any previous choices or anything that you've made, consent is still required in every situation. So sex workers definitely can be assaulted if they're in a situation in which they haven't given consent.
0: Our next one is that assault cannot happen in a relationship. In fact, 28% of assaults happen by an intimate partner. And going back to the whole consent is consent thing that we keep saying because consent is consent and only consent is consent, it is always required no matter the relationship you have to the person. Even if you've been dating for two months or married for 20 years, it does not matter your
1: relationship with the person, it is still assault the next ones that we have kind of go together so this stereotype that men can't be assaulted or on the flip side the idea that women can't assault people um and then the idea that assault for men is synonymous with a loss of masculinity or this idea of like homosexuality um we're going to dive into all of these stereotypes in our june episode we'll cover this topic a lot more deeply and dive into those stereotypes and the experience of male survivors and those people in that sphere so definitely check out our June episode. The last thing that we want to talk about is our call to action that we always um, try to end our podcast with. Um, I think the theme of this episode for sure has been consent is consent. And at the end of the day, that should be central whenever you're thinking about anything surrounding sexual violence. So whenever you hear something that you think may be a stereotype, consider it through the lens of consent always being necessary. And that should be able to help you um, figure out what's true and what's not and what is beneficial versus harmful for survivors.
0: Also, uh, like Kat said, when uh, with the last stereotype, be sure to check out our June podcast because we will be continuing the conversation around men and kind of navigating the environment around surviving sexual assault while I also realizing that a lot of men can be perpetrators as well. So just talking about that.
1: Um, it'll be a really interesting podcast, so definitely check it out. We like to ask all of you listeners to be cognizant of these stereotypes. Um, If you hear any of them or one similar to them, call them out. Don't be afraid to do that. Um, In doing so, even in your personal conversations, you are really helping survivors and helping change that narrative. So it's important to do that. You can hopefully educate others that way. And even by listening to this podcast, you're educating yourself and hopefully changing the narrative around being a survivor and raising more awareness for that.
0: Um, and as always, check on your people, um, and thanks for hanging out with
1: us. Make good choices. Peace and love.